0: them to the Gospel of John to the 14th chapter as we prepare to look at that part of God's word during these next few moments John chapter 14 and our text today begins in verse 25 as we continue looking at this portion of God's word Pastor Joe has been going through a series and and uh, we think that that, that that series should continue and we are continuing on in verse 25 going down through verse 31 and Reading from the English Standard Version translation, this is God's word for us this morning. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Please be seated. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge that it is a gift to us. You've given us your word in a, a way that is it is distinct. It's from you, so it's authoritative. And it's necessary for us. It's like food for the soul. Indeed, the Lord said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Lord, grant us grace today that we would receive this as nourishment for our souls. Indeed, Lord, we would pray that you would grant your word to go forth and that it would go forth also like good seed planted into good soil, that it would be firmly planted and meekly received, and that having been planted that your word would germinate and sprout in the hearts of those who hear, that it would send down deep roots and it would send up strong shoots and bear much fruit in the lives of your people, to the glory of your name, to the good of your people. Therefore, Lord, we pray that you would uphold your servant even now, that you would feed your people, that you would uphold your servant to the glory of your name, and in all these things, Jesus Christ would be lifted up. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are old enough to remember when the Soviet Union was a thing, an ongoing thing. Others of you know about it from history books. For those who remember, we remember the, the dark days that it seemed to, to offer the world at that time. The, the hostility they had, not only toward the United States and to all things Western, but in particular the darkness that they held against some of their own citizens, particularly the people who were those of faith. It was illegal to be a Christian in the Soviet Union. It was officially an atheistic nation. And so it is today, even with modern-day Marxist doctrine, they, they, they are anti-Christian, anti-religious. But one of the things that, that happened, of course, as does happen when people have been born again to Jesus Christ is, the decrees of man do not overcome the decrees of God. And so the church persisted faithfully in spite of the fact that the Soviet Union said that they should not do so. But that didn't mean that the Soviets did not respond. In fact, one of the things that they did was they began to often arrest and ship Christians off to a place called Siberia out a remote, distant place away from from the urban areas where it could get bitterly cold in winter and and be a brutal place to live. Some might have even called it, in an ironic way, the most God-forsaken place they could think of to put Christians. They did that for a long time. And, of course, as you know from history, the Soviet Union ended up collapsing, and the church continues a few years back, I had occasion to talk to a missionary who was uh, uh, serving in Russia, and I asked him, "What about churches in Russia today? We hear about the Russian Orthodox Church, but what about evangelical churches today with all those decades of, of of the the Soviets attacking them? Is there an evangelical witness in Russia today? Are there strong evangelical churches And the person looked at me and said, "There are some tremendously large, thriving, healthy evangelical churches." And you know where they're located? In Siberia. The, the, the Soviets tried to, to send the church to the most God-forsaken place they could think of to try to crush it. But the place that they thought was God-forsaken was not forsaken at all, was it? It has been best blessed now by the presence of the followers of Jesus Christ and by the presence of the gospel of the Lord. What they meant for evil. God meant for good. God did not forsake his people. God did not forsake Siberia. And the good news is God does not forsake his people today either, regardless of what circumstances we are in. That was good news also to the disciples, because in our context of the scripture that we just read this morning, as we've been looking these past few weeks, the Lord Jesus had met with his disciples in the upper room. It was the time of the Last Supper, And and John goes into much more detail than the other gospel writers about the words that were exchanged during that evening. And as the Lord was speaking to his disciples, he dropped a bombshell on them. He told them that he was going to go away from them and that where he was going, they could not come. Obviously, this would be hard news for somebody. I mean, if you've ever been laid off from a job, uh, you know something of maybe what they felt like. To them, they were being laid off. They had left their previous jobs. They had left their families. They had left the things that would give them stability and comfort in their culture to follow Jesus. And now he said, I'm going somewhere and you can't come. Now, he also told them he would go and prepare a place for them and would come back to them and would take them with him. But from his words here, it appears that those, that message hadn't sunk in yet. It, from what the Lord says, that they, they appear to still be rather glum at the news that, in their view, they were being laid off. What does this mean to me? What does this mean, this bad news? Is the Lord forsaking us? And Jesus, in these chapters, is describing patiently and lovingly to them how he is not forsaking them, quite the opposite. He is going to prepare a place for them. But in the meantime, he is going to be with them in a way that he wouldn't have been had he continued in the earth, given the task that's set before them. So let's look at this this morning. They were about to, though they didn't know it. They weren't being laid off at all. Their work was to continue in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of their lives and all eternity. And what Jesus was showing them was the ground on which that was to occur. And guess what? That ground is the same ground on which we serve the Lord today. So these words are not merely a history lesson about what the Lord said to his disciples back then. It's a word that applies to us today if we're in Christ. So let's take a few moments, just as the Lord permits, and look at at these things. Notice the Lord says in verse 25, these things, that is what we've been looking at these past several weeks, about him going away, about him sending the Holy Spirit, about him coming back. These things I have spoken to you, While I am still with you, so he's beginning to to, to, to underscore the fact, while I am still with you, the implication being that pretty soon he won't still be with them. And, And they're going to need something to have to help them get by, not only get by, but thrive while he is no longer physically with them. This, this, this whole chapter and this whole section has to do with the idea of forward looking and forward motion of the Lord and his church. Even the last verse, verse 31, the last words are, "rise, let us go. Motion is part of it. Let's go. Let's move. We have things to do, places to go, people to see. So the Lord tells them that, that he's spoken to the, these while he is with them. But what is going to happen when he's gone? He has an answer for that. Verse 26 The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. They are not going to be forsaken by God. The Lord is going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will teach them and remind them. Now, that's an interesting thing. We might at first think, well, hasn't the Lord already been teaching them for nearly three years? I mean, surely he's told them what they need to know. Well, in in fact, he has been telling them what they need to know to this point. But as he will say later on, and as he continues on in chapter 16, he says, there are some things to say to you that you cannot bear now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's in chapter 16, verse 12. So the Holy Spirit is going to teach them some things that the Lord hasn't told them yet because they're not yet ready to hear that. And also, quite frankly, if you read throughout the Gospels, there were some things that Jesus told them that they just hadn't gotten. The Lord spoke to them, and the words went right over their heads, in one ear out the other, so to speak. They didn't understand what he was saying. But we can look in the Scriptures and see later on they understood. And you know why they understood? Because the Spirit gave them understanding. So the Lord was preparing them that they would be taught by the Spirit and that they would be reminded of the Lord's teaching. I thank God for this for, for at least a couple of reasons. One is, we know from these words of Jesus, therefore, that the Gospels that we have are accurate. We can look here in the Gospel of John, for example, and see beginning in chapter 13, going through chapter 17, an extended section of Scripture in which John is quoting at length what Jesus said. Now, some people may look at that, and especially since biblical scholars tend to think John wrote this decades later. They might think, well, is just John kind of recreating this in his imagination? Is he just kind of remembering sort of what Jesus said, and he's, he's just filling in with words that he thinks Jesus might have said? Not if you read what Jesus says here. He says, the Spirit will, will remind you of what I said. And and we can trust that the the words of Jesus are true. And therefore, that John was given the ability to recall in great detail, because of supernatural help, what transpired that night. Not just the things that happened, but the words that were exchanged. Just as he would later be given, or around the same time, sometime in there, he would be given the, the Revelation, the book of Revelation, 22 chapters, that was given to him also through the Spirit in a vision. We should not be surprised in that God teaches his people and reminds them. But there's also good news. That is, that that the Lord, through his spirit, was able to also instruct his disciples, bring to mind the word as they went through life. Now remember, these disciples to this point had gone through through about a three-year period in which Jesus was there every day. They'd get up in the morning, there's Jesus. When he'd say, let's go somewhere, they went with him. When they had questions, they asked him. When when it was time to go somewhere at night, he'd say, let's go somewhere at night. And they went where he went. What were they going to do in the days ahead? They didn't realize it yet, but Jesus was going to have them spread out. Some of them were going to go to Ephesus. Others maybe to Rome. Some would go east. Some would go south. Some would go for different places. Some would remain in Jerusalem for a while. They were going to spread out. If Jesus had remained physically on earth, where would he go? Who would he go with? If he went with one of them, that would leave the other faithful disciples to go it on their own. Where where would they get their guidance? It would be helpful to have a Jesus with you. What if Jesus was like that? What if Jesus could physically go with? There would be a form of Jesus that, that, that every Christian could walk around the world and there's a Jesus right with you. You know, you go home today, and, and you go home, and Jesus walks in the door with you. And, and somebody else down the pew with you, they go to their home, and Jesus goes with them. And, and Jesus, there's a, there's a Jesus in everybody's car, in everybody's home, who's a follower of Christ. You go to work, there's Jesus. You go to class, there's Jesus. And you see him with you, and you say, Jesus, what should I do? He gives you direction. Wouldn't that be awesome? Guess what? That's the function of the Holy Spirit. He is with you. The Lord is present through his spirit. You don't see him. He's not visibly there, but he is just as much with the church today as Jesus was with the church then. That's what he's telling them. That's good news. And we can have that hope that the same spirit who reminded the apostles in great detail of what Jesus said, who was able to to reveal to John the details of this gospel, would be able to help you and me in our time of need. If you're a follower of Christ, The Lord will show you his word through his spirit. Don't fear. But it brings up a very important question. If you are a follower of Christ or you say you're one, does the word of the Lord come into your mind very often? Does what Jesus said matter to you when you make your decisions in life? For if you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, but the words of Christ have little or no bearing on the decisions you make and the direction you go, How does that square with this word? For Jesus told his disciples that he would send his spirit. He says that his spirit would be with his people and would be in his people. And he would bring to memory what Jesus said. That includes, I believe, first of all, of course, the the red letters, if you will. the, the, The words that Jesus literally spoke on earth. Certainly he means that. But the Lord also would speak through his apostles. Those other things he would teach them, including the apostle John... Those are also words from Jesus, too. And those teachings as well are in in view here, I believe, as well as really honestly the rest of Scripture when it's understood in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Scripture should instruct God's people and that by the Spirit of God. Does it have a place in your life when you make your life decisions? If not, seek the Lord about it because it's a matter for concern. If the words of Jesus are recurring in your heart and in your mind on a regular basis, as you go to make decisions and as you're about to do something and you suddenly feel that check in your heart that says, wait a minute, that's not what the Lord said to do, be thankful to the Lord for that because that is his spirit working. As you seek the Lord's will and you feel guidance from the Lord that's consistent with his word, give thanks to the Lord for that because that's what he said his spirit would do. We are not forsaken. He has given His Spirit to His church. But the Lord also gave something else. Scripture goes on to say, not only did He give His Spirit, and therefore teaching through His Spirit, reminding through His Spirit, He also gave peace. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Lord gave peace. Matthew Henry put it this way. I'm going to kind of paraphrase him. He said, when the Lord Jesus left this earth, he, he, he had a, a, if you will, like a last will and testament, so to speak. He, he bequeathed certain things to certain people. While on the cross, he committed to the Father his spirit. To, into your hands I commit my spirit. To the soldiers, he, he left his, clone, his clothing, his garments. To John, he, he left his mother to care for Mary. But what did he leave the rest of his disciples, these poor disciples? He left his peace. That's what this word means. I leave my peace to you. It's the same word that would be used if somebody is bequeathing something in an estate. I'm leaving my peace to you. I'm giving it to you. It's not as though it's being left with them because he can't hold on to it. He's going to die, so he just has to let go of it. No, he's going to die and come back, but he's still giving his peace willingly, lovingly, and fully to his people. Not as the world gives it. I mean, let's face it, the world talks a lot about peace. Everybody wants peace, but the peace that the world offers is a substandard peace. It is a peace that, first of all, can be cheaply given In Hebrew, the the word would have been shalom. That would have been the the word that they would have been speaking, though the Bible originally was written in Greek and translated into various languages now. They were probably speaking a form of Hebrew or an Aramaic language. They would have been saying shalom. And people can walk around even today and say shalom or peace, and it goes out of their mouth and it falls to the ground in terms of any effectiveness. There's no actual bestowal of peace. That's the kind of peace the world gives. People give the peace sign or something like that. And that does nothing to do to actually affect actual well being, which is what peace means. There's that kind of peace that is based on circumstances. If you just change your circumstances, you'll be at peace. Well, that's not really very peaceful either, because what if the circumstances change again? Now the peace is gone. And that is a terrible way to live. What a roller coaster life. Circumstances are favorable, the winds are blowing in a fair way, I have peace. Winds change, I don't have peace. That's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a sustained peace that is a good peace throughout all seasons of life, whatever they may be. And there is that kind of, of peace that is, uh, it is just shallow, it is ineffective. Even if people try to give it, they, they, they more or less say, They're there, everything's going to be all right, don't worry. How often does that kind of word work? Sometimes the more people say, don't worry, the more worry it produces. But Jesus isn't giving that cheap, shoddy kind of peace that can be taken away by a change in circumstances. He is giving as he gives peace. The one through whom the world was created, who could say, let there be light and there is light. The one who could say to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And they were still. The one of whom the angel said to the shepherds, that there was good news of a great joy which will be to all people, for to you, who was born this day in the city of David, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. The one who is called the prince of peace by Isaiah gives peace to his people. And he gives it in multiple ways. And we don't have time to go into all of this morning, but I want to touch briefly on this. First of all, he gives peace with God. The Lord Jesus came, and he lived a life of perfect submission to his heavenly Father. The only person in the history of the world who ever did that. Because from our first ancestors on, there was disobedience and sin, which led to a relationship of hostility toward God. Earlier this morning, I read out of John chapter 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a great promise. Whoever believes in him. But what about those who don't believe in him? Should they not perish as Well, No, they will perish because they don't believe in the name of the Son of God. That's what Don goes on to say. But God came that there might be peace between man and God. And he did that by sending Jesus, who though he lived a perfect life, stepped in front of the wrath of God. He received the the cup of God's wrath poured out in full on him, though he deserved not a drop of it. And if you're in Christ today, you're a follower of Jesus, there is no more wrath to pour out on you. Not a single drop, because it was poured out in its entirety on Jesus. There is peace with God. And that is the basis for the rest of the peace about which we're talking this morning. For he goes on to also, also to show there is peace with others as well as a, as a result of this. The peace that Jesus gives causes there to be peace with others. First and foremost within the church Back in John chapter 13 and verse 35, he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That, my friends, involves peace. This world is full of division. The world divides along many fault lines. In our culture, we talk about the color of skin being a basis for division. There's also levels of education. There's also what region of the country you're from. What political affiliation do you have? Are you rich or are you poor? What is, what is your favorite sports team? The world can find so many ways to create hostility and division. But in the church, it is not so. The Lord shows us that in Revelation chapter 5, there will be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who are called together, and they are called together on one basis because they belong to Jesus Christ. The things that the world tries to divide us with, which, by the way, is ultimately Satan working to divide the world, And Satan would bring such division into the church, but the Lord does not allow it. And to the degree that people try to bring it in, they are being disobedient to the Lord and subject to his chastening. But the Lord in his love would have us love one another. That the things that the world divides by are things that the Lord sets aside because of the unifying thing of the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in him. There is peace with others. Even in working with people in the world who don't believe in Jesus, the church is called to be peaceful. Think about what the Lord said. He said, pray for those who persecute you. If someone curses you, bless them. If someone does evil to you, do good to them. The Lord said that directly. The Apostle Paul reiterated it in Romans 12. We are to be people as much as it depends on us to be at peace with others. Now the world hates God. So if you're faithful to the Lord to speak his word, to, to, to live as, a, as light in, in the dark world, the world will hate you because it hated the Lord, it hates Jesus, it hates the Father. And the world will hate the church too, but our response must always be to do good. We cannot take vengeance ourselves. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. We must always respond in love toward our neighbor, whether they're lovable to us or not. And finally, there is peace of heart, peace of heart. The Lord told his disciples uh, to to let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. At the moment that he was saying these words, they were disturbed. They had been told that Jesus was going away. They They were already in a condition of being upset and afraid. But yet the Lord says, Don't let that continue. This this verb, don't let it be, can be translated also, don't let them keep on being. Don't let your hearts keep on being troubled. Don't let them keep on being afraid. Because there are times in life where we may hear a disturbing word. Something may arise that's fearful. And we may at first have that emotional response to be troubled or afraid by it, even in the world today. In our culture, there are many troubling things. But the words of the Lord are still true to us as well. The modern-day church is not exempted from the Lord's command. And, And as we look at these words, we can be sure that the Lord who spoke these things did not speak these things unaware of the condition of the world. In fact, the Lord himself was a wonderful example of the very thing. Because he knew, though the disciples did not yet understand what lay immediately before him. The Lord Jesus was going to leave that room and was going to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be in agonizing prayer. He would be troubled for a little bit. He would pray and pour out his agony before the Father and say, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. The answer would come, yes, son, it is my will that you endure the cross. And Jesus would get up. And when he got up, And was with his disciples. He saw those who were to arrest him coming. And you know what he did? He didn't sneak away. He walked to them. Read the Bible. Read the scriptures, how it describes. He walked to them. And there's no longer a mention of his being troubled. There's no longer a mention of his being concerned about it. No longer trying to avoid it. Not not even asking, Father, if possible. He knew the Father's will and he submitted to it. The writer of Hebrews describes it well. He said, we are to look to the, 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 the author of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what lay ahead of him, but his focus wasn't upon the valley of the cross. He was looking at the Father who was on the other side of the cross. He was going to go and be with the Father. That's what he tells his disciples there in verse 28. You heard me say I'm going away, and I will come again to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. If the disciples understood, they would have said, no, Jesus, you're going to the cross. But Jesus, looking forward, didn't see the cross as his main objective. He saw the Father as his destination. What do you see this morning? We're in a world and it's easy to see the turmoil and the trouble around about us. But Jesus saw a turmoil that was much worse than anything you or I are facing. He was seeing the cross, not only the physical torments of the cross, but the spiritual torment of receiving God's wrath, the wrath that was due for me, for you, for everyone here and everyone around the world who is a follower of Christ, was poured out upon him. And he received it in full. I can't imagine what that was like, but thank God I will never know because it was poured out on Christ. Jesus says that's the kind of peace, the peace that would allow him to endure that is the peace he's giving his church. Don't let the deceiver steal that peace from you. Don't let the deceiver think that, oh no, these, these hard times, I, I'm really troubled. I, I'm going to live every day in fear. I'm going to live every day of dread. That's not how Christ has called us to live. This word he gave to the apostles was to a group of people who were soon, though they didn't know it yet, were going to be empowered by the Spirit, who would turn from fearful, troubled men to those who would scatter, bringing the gospel around that section of the world. Some of them would write the gospels that we're looking at today. Others would just speak them. And as that gospel spread, those men were to be tried and fire. Tradition tells us that of the 11 faithful apostles, 10 of them were martyred. The only one that lived to have a natural death was John, and he was persecuted. He saw his brother executed. He went through much turmoil. And yet, they were all faithful to the end. Why? Because their hearts were not troubled. Because they did not fear. Because Jesus had given them his peace. Church today, the Lord offers us peace as well. At the end of this time, at the end of this chapter, this verse, uh, this section, the Lord says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. He did his actions because he loved the Father. And he calls us to do the same. Out of love for him, to lift our eyes off of the world's threats, and to focus upon our Lord. He closed by saying, Rise, let us go from here. He would go to the Garden of Gethsemane after praying in agony for a period of time. He would get up once again and go to his disciples and repeat this phrase. Notice he says, let us go from here. He doesn't just tell the disciples, let me go now. He called his disciples to go with him. To go and to meet those who would arrest Jesus. Go with me. When Jesus says to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, he's getting at that same truth today. We don't know what that cross is going to lead us to. We don't know how we're going to suffer, how we're going to live in this life. But we need not live in dread or fear because we have the Prince of Peace and the bestowal of peace and his spirit upon us. Church, don't fear. Church, don't keep on being troubled. When it arises, go to him. As the Apostle Paul wrote, be anxious, anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which is, passes all understanding, it passes all understanding, nobody can understand why you're at peace, we will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is our hope. That is our promise. In a moment, church, we're going to rise. When we go from here, let us go with Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this word from the Lord. Not merely words, but power and peace, your spirit. We thank you for your presence with your people today. And we know that you are faithful, that you will always be with your church. So Lord, grant us grace that today in whatever circumstances we are, that the, the spirit will remind us of these words of the Lord Jesus, that we would find your peace in our lives. To the glory of your name, for we pray these things and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.